join us here on our perch at the far end of the bar. He's Ben. He's Richard. And this is the, our last show for a little while, isn't it? Yes, we're taking a summer break. Oh, good, people say. There will be bunting. <laughs> oh, there probably is some bunting left over anyway. Yeah. You can just go and put that out again and say, woohoo, those two old, two old gits are going away for the summer. That is the perfect bunting for us. Yes. Just slightly ragged, a little bit wet, you know, stained. <laughs> That's the sort of bunting we deserve. <laughs> uh, red, white and blue, bugger off. Blood, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so this is uh, this is us, uh, our last one until we go away and do our summer thing, mm-hmm. uh, and then we shall return with the fire under the bar sometime in the uh, in the end of summer, beginning of autumn, that September, of yeah, ish, right about that time, and that's uh, a big and, ish. And before we go away, I wanted to talk to you because we're very close, yes, and I wanted to talk to you about love songs. Okay, um, because <laughs> because um, I was I'm reading at the moment there's, there's there's a there's an old songwriter probably the greatest songwriter of the 20th century a man lyricist a man called Johnny Mercer who I okay. hope you've heard of I have heard uh, of Johnny you Mercer. would certainly have heard of many of the songs that he wrote Autumn Leaves that old Black Magic. Um, there's no business like show business um, mm-hmm. uh, that he didn't write, but there are many things that he did write. About 1,400 songs in all. Wow! Uh, so uh, I'm writing, I'm reading a, 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 a biography of his uh, at the moment, and um, I came across an extraordinary fact, and that mm-hmm. fact is that when it comes to rhyming the word love, yeah. How many, how many words, how many single-syllable words can you think of off the top of your head that rhyme with the word love? Dove? Yeah. Glove? Yes. Bruv? <laughs> I'm not accepting that one. <laughs> uh, dove, glove. Uh, are there more? Yeah. How many are there in total? Well, give me one. If you can find one more, I'll be very impressed. Um, Although there are two, okay. Uh, you got glove. Kick, you've I'm got kick myself, dove. I? Yeah. Mm, I mean, bruv's a good one. If you push someone, enough. if you push someone, what do you do? A shove. You shove. Yeah, you give them a shove. So you've got glove, dove, yeah. and shove, mm. which are the only real, true rhymes for the word love. Now, a lot of people rhyme of. With love, no. Well, uh, if you hear it in context, it kind of works, but it's not a true rhyme. But glove, shove, and dove are really the only three words that mm. rhyme with love. And Any so one if, of those really would be romantic. I mean, I suppose you could go hand in glove. We walked in love. That would be nice. We walked in love. I gave her yeah. a shove, and we went yeah. somewhere of glove. And then dove's a kind of lovey. I suppose, aren't they? Well, they're yeah. only lovey-dovey because they've been rhymed with love. There's nothing yeah. lovey about a dovey, is there? No, not, well, they're kind of, you know, they're white white and that. Yeah, <laughs> only because we put that on them. We've projected that kind of loveliness mm. on them, the two turtle doves, Bill and Coo, and fall in love. Mm. Um, but there's not an awful lot you can do with shove or glove, no. really. So when it comes to writing songs about love, Songwriters tend not to put the word love at the end of a 
phrase. Mm. Um, and, and I was just thinking, just one example of a song, Can't Help Falling in Love. Right. Okay. The title is the only part of that song that puts the word love at the end of the line. Wise is men it? say, only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. Mm. So now you're rhyming something with you. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so, and then I'm just thinking about the, the, the fact that you have to hide the word love in these songs. But there are lots and lots of other words that if you're a songwriter are an absolute nightmare. Mm. Words that have no rhyme. None at all. None at all. No, you must know at least one word because this is orange. a popular... Yeah, there, there you go. That's the popular one, isn't it? Yeah. There is no rhyme for the word orange, the most famous one. Other words that have no rhyme include... Mm. Silver, okay. Purple, mm -hmm. month. Obviously, now because I'm one of those contrary sort of a people. Yeah, you're going to I'm say purple. You're going to go. Yes, well, exactly. Yeah. And now this is this is. Let me do this list, and then we'll come to what okay. you are experiencing as I'm doing this. Yeah, because I'm I'm ahead of you here. <laughs> so the list is the, the list of we some. We really are close, aren't we? <laughs> Some of the words that have no rhyme are silver, purple, month, ninth, pint, wolf, opus, dangerous, marathon, and discombobulate. <laughs> there are many others. Cogitate. Well, well, I don't know. I, I haven't examined that one. I would have to forensically look at the no, word cogitate. No, that rhymes with discombobulate. Oh, mm, uh, no. Mm, okay. All right. All right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But the thing that you were thinking of is the thing that happened. I did this on the radio years ago. Uh, words that have no rhymes. Mm. And people rang up and said, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Mm. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a rhyme for purple. Oh, yeah. What's that then? Purple. <laughs> what? Purple. Yeah, it's uh I read it once. Purple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what this is what happened. People swore that they knew words which they'd which were made up words or mm. they'd made them up that rhymed with the things I said had no rhyme because mm. I don't know what it is. But the, it, the moment you say there's no rhyme for orange, people desperately, even though that there is no word for orange, people desperately try to find borange. Bor yeah. I went, ah, what it's called, a kid called Borange. <laughs> yeah, we used to call him Borange the Orange. Yeah, see? <laughs> see? That, that rhymes with it, doesn't it? Yeah. There's no rhyme. Yeah. And it really, I don't know, Sporange. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um... Words that have no rhymes are very frustrating. But mm. songwriters don't use rhymes like they do, uh, what, like they used to. Uh, and and they, they write more prosy kind of songs now, don't they? You listen to an Ed Sheeran lyric. I mean, he's the man who saved popular music, for God's sake. He doesn't rhyme at all, hardly. It all just kind of... It's, it's about a story which is set to music. And that's the case with many songs now. Um, the old-fashioned thing where, you know, the, the great songs from the, the great age of American songwriting, the, uh, the Johnny Mercers, the Cole Porters, um, those kinds of people who would work on um, a very intricate 
uh, rhymes, clever rhymes. They they kind of fell out of fashion. Mm. Paul Simon songs. You listen to Paul Simon songs. Yeah. They they don't really have uh, rhymes. They they have thoughts that interweave and, and and work with the music. They don't rhyme in the in the same same way. But it but it's but it's interesting. I I like a, a good rhyming couplet. And when I was thinking about rhyming couplets, I I started to write some down. I, I'm quite good not thinking about. If I have to think about a, a rhyme, I'm I don't know. I, I probably get too elaborate, but I'm quite good at just doing a, a, a thing off the top of my head, which also leads on to limericks. That is amazing. That is amazing. Why? Because. We talked earlier in the week about how this was the last show before our summer break and how we should play games like you did at school. Mm. And one of the games I've brought is, I've named, I've nicked it off, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. So I was going to give you the first line and then we were going to build a limerick together. Ah, lovely. Well, well now people will think, ah, we've, 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 uh, we've talked about this beforehand, but we haven't. Uh, limericks, no. uh, it just kind of flowed from what we were talking about with rhymes as far as I was concerned. But but here's the thing. The the, the thing about the uh, the game where you have um, four people around a table and everybody contributes a line mm. to the limerick. Do you know where that comes from? Ireland? No, I... I <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't... I. I sounded there as though I was going to tell you uh, the, the facts about where that game established itself uh, for the first time. What I can right. tell you is that there's a very famous limerick, one of the best limericks of all, mm. which came from a game, this game, that they played at Graf, the Grafton Arms which was a pub in London run by a fellow called Jimmy Grafton. And Jimmy Grafton was not just a publican, he was also a writer and used to contribute to radio comedy shows in the 1940s and 50s. And at his pub, all the comedians of the time, uh, probably they were, well, before their time, really, because the would-be comedians who'd come out of the forces after the Second World War and who'd been part of the entertainment, uh, you know, entertain the troops and such like they used to congregate at the Grafton Arms, and uh, so there, there were people like Dick Emery and Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan and Harry Seacombe. So the goons and Michael Benteen was there as well. And it was, uh, and Jimmy Grafton had a tape recorder, mm. and he used to play this 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 uh, this game. So he, you would say your line into the tape recorder, and then he'd go on to the next person, and they'd say their line, and on and on and on until you had a limerick. Mm. And one of the greatest limericks of all time came from the Grafton Arms, and it is this. There was a young man from Bombay, took a slow boat to China one day. He was chained to the tiller by a sex-starved gorilla, and China's a bloody long way. <laughs> Which is a great, great limerick. <laughs> but it came out of, one, two, three, four, five, five lines from five different people. Mm. That's great, isn't it? And that that's where great, that yeah. that's where that thing that they used to play on, and they still do play on. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. That's where yeah. that came from. I always like it when they start with um, "There was a young man from Nantucket." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now that now, funny you should say that, because 
Um, there once was a man from Nantucket. Mm-hmm. And I know where, I know the original version of that because I looked okay. it up earlier today. Oh, yeah. It's filthy. Well, well, I mean, tr- not really? just for, <laughs> tremendously so, but it's okay. also but it's also brilliant. So we're not going to do that, <laughs> but it is brilliant in its in the way that it's constructed because mm. it, not only is it filth on top of filth, <laughs> but it's incredibly funny <laughs> in that way that you know it's it's such naughtiness. However, yeah. there is, there is a very good clean version. Okay, shall I give it to you? <laughs> Yes, of course. There once was a man from Nantucket who kept all his cash in a bucket. Mm-hmm. His daughter, named Nan, ran away with a man. And as for the bucket, Nantucket. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. It's it, good, isn't it? It feels like it's ruder than it is. Well, in Nantucket, you know, it, it, it invites certain rhymes, doesn't it? Mm. Um, in, but, you know. That's the way. That's the way of. Uh, that's the way of limericks. Some of the finest ones are, are really. <laughs> they're misdirective, aren't they? Yeah. They. You think they're going to go down uh, uh, one path, and then they well, divert there, there's to the another. There's the basis of all good jokes, isn't it? You know. Yeah. You think you're going somewhere, and then you go somewhere else. <laughs> but there is a national limerick day. I know many people will be saying. Richard, is there a National Limerick Day? I was just about to ask. Uh, what were you going to ask? Is there a National Limerick Day? Funny you should ask that, Ben, because there is. Uh, it's held every year on the 12th of May. We've just okay. missed it not that long ago. Pays homage to the man who made the short poem widespread, Edward Lear. That begs for every year on the 12th of May is National Limerick Day. When you can... Formulate a poem and say. No, it says rubbish. <laughs> it started well, and then, and then it fell off a cliff. It did. Well, when I was um, considering limericks earlier, I went on a search because I can't remember it now, and I was trying to find one of my favourite limericks from I'm Sorry, I Haven't a Clue, which revolved around Bonnie Langford. Oh, right. I okay. can't find it. But no. what I did find was on uh, Amazon.co.uk. You can buy a book called I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, The Official Limerick Collection. Ah! Right? Only one copy left, currently at one pence. And my favourite thing about this entry is the review from Jeanette Schmelzer over in the United States of America. Hi, Jeanette. One of our American cousins. Her review reads like this. I didn't realise it was just a book of limericks. One star. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yes. I was hoping that there would be references to barbed wire. The <laughs> <laughs> book of limericks. Oh, well, there we are. You see, we, we as is our last. Oh, oh, last. Uh, <laughs> as it, I was slurring away there, and I'm, I'm on the water. You're on the wine. Mm. Um, but as it's our last show for a little while, uh, we we've kind of. We've, we've plundered the area of limericks. We may return uh, in our new season. We may return to the hot topic of limericks, but 
it's unlikely. <laughs> I, no, I don't know. We, we, we might do it. I think it's only ever worth doing once in a season. But there we Given go. I can't remember what I did yesterday, the chances of either of us remembering that we did limericks and we were going to do them again in two and a half months' time <laughs> seems slim. Don't hold us to it, then. Got something you want to tell us? Email thefarendofthebar at gmail.com or find us on Insta, Twitter or Facebook using the hashtag TFEOTB. Can I offer you a drink? Yes, please. If the sun ever comes out again, it stays out long enough for us to call it summer, mm. then I shall enjoy a bottle of cold beer. Mm. A bottle of cold beer. Beer. My mother, what, however... What, what a lovely sentence. Oh, it is. A bottle of cold beer. Just the promise that it holds. Those few words. I can see butterflies. <laughs> I can feel the warmth of the sun. The sound of yeah. tennis balls. Cliff Richard singing. A gentle breeze just ruffling your fringe. I wish. That's just a distant memory now. Yeah. <laughs> The thing is that you and I might like a bottle of cold beer, but my mother likes her beer warm. There's something wrong. Warm beer? She grew, grew up in that generation where all beer in, in Britain was warm. Is she northern? Uh, well, no. There were no such things as chillers and coolers in the days when it just came up. It was down, down in the cellar where it kept it as cool as possible, but on a hot okay. day, by the time it came up, it was quite warm. What sort of beer? A brown ale? Uh, oh no, she'll 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 have a no, she'll have something Italian. She'll probably have a Peroni, Peroni, okay, a Peroni, a, a Peroni, a Peroni. Um, or a Bud. <laughs> you want a cold Bud? No, but I'll have a warm one if you've got one. <laughs> the thing is, I'm offering you a cold beer, but but here we go. What's the coldest temperature drink that we could safely imbibe? Ooh, that's a good question. Because on a, on a hot day, that bottle of Bud, for me, just goes straight down. And, pr- and, it, and very often, that's enough. Mm. Not always, but sometimes that one bottle of cold beer just, you know, hits the spot. But how cold could our insides take? Recently, I was on a trip, and on the way home, I was struck by unignorable hunger. I had no choice. I had to eat. And one of the many things that perplexes me about this country is the absolute lack of any healthy options. If you're caught in that situation on the road, if you're going to stop to eat, it's going to be unhealthy. There's very hardly anywhere that sells anything healthy. Your, your options are salt and sugar. Yeah. So I ended up at one of these one of these fast food restaurants. Oh, we have one of these, these newfangled. Fast food restaurants. And uh, I pulled up to the drive-thru because I didn't want to go in. And I ordered me a meal. And they said, oh, I'm I'm afraid we haven't got any soft drinks. We've run out. Uh, But we have got these frozen slushy things. So I said, well, in lieu of anything else, I'll have one of those. And um, not being particularly au fait with the modern uh, selection of very, very cold drinks. We're ahead of you. I took a big glug, and it it was awful. It, I I genuinely thought I was going to die in the car park of a Burger King just outside Warrington. Slushy <laughs> headache. Pain. 
the, no, it was, it went, it, my throat was hit by frozen pain yeah. and then all down my neck yes. and then past my chest yep. into my stomach. Yep. I could feel it all the way down. Yep. That was the only gulp I had. Um, I, so, I did a similar thing with, uh, with a sushi my daughter ordered. I, I didn't have the, um, the pain all the way down from the mouth downwards. My mm. pain went upwards into mm. that ice cream headache area just above the eyebrow and through yeah. the eye where you fear that Captain Hook has just speared you mm. right the way through the eye. An unimaginable pain. Unbelievable, isn't it? So, I mean, I honestly did think I was on the verge <laughs> of expiring. So, And I reckon that was somewhere in the region of maybe... Ah, this is a total guess. I'm going to say minus eight degrees. Minus eight. Okay. Right. So I reckon another couple of most liquids are going to freeze below that point, aren't they? Below freezing. That that makes sense. So I think I've taught myself down a blind alley here. I'm just going to randomly pluck a figure out of the air and say minus one point eight. Well, drinking something colder than ice water, which is zero degrees centigrade, of course, carries a risk. As you say, of freezing your lips, your tongue, and your gums. And as my mm. granny would say, your gizzard as well. Yeah. And you don't want frostbite of your gizzard. So you don't want to do that. Even mm. iced water comes with a risk. Because too much, uh, when you're overheated, can cause real problems. Theoretically, mm. this is where we go into the theoreticals. Because we okay. like our science here. Since you really shouldn't be drinking anything other than water or alcohol. Oh, mm. silly ass. Well, at all times? Yeah, at all times. <laughs> really? Well. Is this, is this official medical? That's brilliant. Water I can, I or can, alcohol. alcohol. I mean, there are a number of things that you can do with the water, right? <laughs> but basically, it's got to be water-based or alcohol-based. Fantastic. The coldest that you could actually have a liquid that would not kill you would be... Mm. Minus 114 degrees C. Don't be ridiculous. Or the freezing point of ethanol. Surely you should never drink ethanol at any temperature. Can I just suggest that you don't bother ethanol, with that? Is that? No. It would, instant, it would instantly freeze your lips and your tongue so that you might actually wish that you were dead. But theoretically, mm. theoretically, okay, okay. If you're on a, an episode of Doctor Who, theoretically, yeah. you could go for the 173.5 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 173.5 degrees Fahrenheit, or minus 114.1 degrees centigrade. No one's ever looked at a glass of ethanol and said, no, it's fine, it's above the 114 point whatever degrees centigrade. I'm going to have a go I can that. drink it, yeah. Cheap vodka. Are you a cheap vodka mm -hmm. man? No. No. I'm not, a, I'm I'm not, not an expensive vodka, vodka no, man. No, I'm not a vodka man either. No. Uh, often stored in freezers, since it doesn't freeze at normal freezer temperatures, though it probably warms up substantially when you place it in a glass for consumption. Um, freezing a cheap vodka makes it more palatable. Right. Better vodkas don't taste bad at fridge or even room temperatures. What is the freezing point of alcohol? Of alcohol? Mm. Um, well, well, the freezing point of ethanol is 114.1 degrees C. Yeah. So that, is the, that, that is the point at which the thing that you're drinking turns into a, 
a frozen spear inside you and does for you. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a temperature of 100 minus 114 degrees, I don't think it's what's inside you that's going to be the problem. <laughs> Probably not. You're no. long dead by then. So, anyway, to come full circle, um, I'm going to just go for a cool or a cold bottle of beer, nicely chilled, from the fridge. Maybe a chilled glass as well. I do like a chilled glass. A frosted glass. Mm. That's nice. I like a frosted glass. Damn. Don't do that enough. But uh, if we're on holiday, might stick a glass in the freezer, take the glass mm -hmm. out of the freezer, you pour the beer into there, and that's beautiful. Garcon, bring me a cold beer. Marlene, <laughs> I'll have one too. <laughs> Okay, so I was reading this in the week and it really tickled my fancy. French officials have continued their centuries-long battle to preserve the purity of their beautiful language, overhauling the rules on using English video game jargon. Ah. So phrases such as pro-gamer and streamer have made their way into the French language. A bit like... Le weekend, yeah, right. And the French are not happy. The uh, the French traditionalists. So they've um, announced that these are the official translations that must be used now uh, in the media and on all official communications. So um, pro gamer becomes joueur professionnel. I like that. I like that. I like that. I like yes. That. Yeah. And uh, streamer becomes joueur animateur on direct. Isn't that great? Yeah, beautiful. There's poetry um, in this. Uh, it also led me to look up what these things would be in other European languages. Italian for pro gamer is, and you'll very much appreciate my accent here, because as we all know, that is some of my finest work. The Italian for pro gamer is giocatore professionista. It's nice, isn't it? That's and beautiful. in Spanish, Do you know I feel like I'm on the the the, the Italian step, the Spanish step. I feel like I'm <laughs> yeah. on the Spanish steps. And you're the you're Spanish about steps to listening to an Italian. <laughs> you're about to give me a gold beer. And the Spanish for pro gamer is a giocatore professional. <laughs> so beautiful. That's lovely. Done. And the German for pro gamer is. Pre-gimmer. Yeah, well, it would be. Would it? <laughs> That's lovely. That's lovely. Yeah. You you should definitely, if you ever thought about going into the languages business. I've very much considered it yeah. a lot, yeah. I think I'd be a natural on one of those uh, translation apps. There's a wonderful Catherine Tate sketch. I don't know if you've ever seen it, where um, uh, her boss is just going into a meeting with a lot of um, foreign people. And uh, the translator hasn't turned up, and she's uh, she's offered her services because she speaks all these languages, and uh, she she just goes in and does what all what so many English people who cannot speak a foreign language do, and that's just make the sound of the foreign language. So when she speaks to the Frenchman, she just goes ihan, ihan, ihan. 
<laughs> and to the French, and to the Spaniard, it was ta 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 ta. Yeah, you know. If it wasn't so true, well, uh, yes, I know. And it's you know, and, and it, 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 you know, because uh, people either do that or they say two beers, please. Yeah. <laughs> Just louder yeah. and slower. Louder and slower. You know, because everyone's going to understand this. Sally Doxvig told me a lovely story. She, she said she'd gone to, she'd gone to Rome, and uh, she was trying to impress um, uh, her friend, and so she she'd learnt some Italian. Hmm. So they sat down for dinner that evening, and and Sandy. Um, ordered the wine and then looked through the menu and then she put the menu down and she thought no I, I'm, I'm going to rely on everything I've learnt and mm. so she ordered in Italian and out came 32 poached eggs <laughs> excellent <laughs> which is great isn't it <laughs> gracias thanks <laughs> Um, th- this struck me the other day as well. I was watching the Scotland versus Ukraine um, World Cup qualifying yeah. match. I think some of the Scots got caught up in the heat of the moment, and they were they were booing uh, one of the Ukrainian players, which just seemed to me to be particularly unnecessary and insensitive given the uh, current circumstances. So anyway, um, the situation was that everyone else in the house had gone out, and it was the Wednesday before the four day weekend. So I, I may have, I may have had a glass of wine you may. or two. I may have done. And um, I suddenly found myself saying this. And and what I've worked out is that actually this is a really good way into doing uh, a pretty good, I think, Scottish accent. And I found myself repeating it. I couldn't stop. I kind of got addicted to it. And here's what I was saying. He's doing the bin. He's doing the bin. He's doing the bin. He's doing the bin. You're going to have to do the translation on that because he's doing the bin. He's doing the bin. Who's doing the booing? Oh, there who's doing the booing? Yeah, I was, I was incensed at the booing of the poor Ukrainian lad. Who's doing the bin? Oh, beautiful. Because that, that always has to be... Uh, a lot of impressionists uh, find their way into an impression by saying the name of the person that they're impersonating. Mm. But he's doing the bin. It's beautiful. <laughs> Romance in that language. Not then, but yes, generally. <laughs> okay, pub quiz. Oh, always up for a pub quiz. Now, uh, you, you've done kind of better recently at this. Mm. So, you know, keep your end up. Um, no. It's all about summer. Good old summertime, as Bobby Goldsborough sang. Um, there's some pretty strange stuff associated with the warmest months of the year, as we know. But... Mm-hmm. Of these three, is it fact or fiction? Uh, there's a right. festival which is held at Kenny Bunkport in Maine, USA, which every year um, hosts a carnival called the Dump Festival, as in the rubbish dump. Right. Uh, before okay. you start making up your own jokes, uh, where they <laughs> crown Miss Dumpy. It, yeah. it was started in 1965 <laughs> to honour the importance of the old-fashioned town dump, the Kenny Bunkport Dump Association. Yeah. was a 40-member group consisting of one president and 39 vice presidents who started meeting at the dump, drinking beer and shooting rats. Fact. What a night out. Fact or fiction? Did I Brilliant. make all that up? Or was that... What was the name of the town again? It's called Sorry? Kenny Bunkport in Maine. Kenny Bunkport. 
Uh, where are you from? Kenny Bunkwart in Maine. Um, I can absolutely believe you can that believe that some oh, Americans. Yeah. It's small town America. What else are you going to do other than gather round the local dump, drink beer, shoot rats? Indeed. True. Okay. All right. Uh, second one then. In 1618, James the First published his Puritan appeasing book of sports, mm. which decided what could and couldn't take place on a Sunday. The playing okay. of football was allowed, but only after church, whilst cricket was banned altogether. Wow. Um, I, I refuse to answer that question on moral grounds. You're appalled. Absolutely disgusted. I don't think I've ever been so angry during the recording of a podcast. We'll come back to that and we'll see just how angry he was. And the third and final one, fact or fiction, at the Festival of St Gregory, celebrated in Cornwall, on the nearest Saturday to the 23rd of June, the old age practice of flacking the loon takes place. Yep. One man stands atop a barrel, or loon, whilst others, the flackers, try to dislodge him with their soft willow flacking poles. <laughs> the l- I've, I've had just enough wine for this to be ridiculously funny. The longest a man the- can stay atop the loon... Determines the winner. The loon flackers. Of course. Therein, I think, leads me to my answer, which I won't reveal for now. I've given you the answer to the first one. Uh, The loon flackers. Okay, we'll we'll come back. We'll come back. In the meantime, have we got time for a quick story? Well, I think we could make this a bumper edition, but perhaps we could say at this point... Uh, bear with us. We understand this has been a particularly long episode. So if you'd like to go, just pop us on pause, go and make a drink, find something to eat, speak to your wife. Have a cold beer. Husband. Yeah, whatever you need to do. Shower, put the wash on, uh, and then come back to us. We'll still be here prattling on about nonsense. In fact, you can probably negotiate a mortgage during the course of this next story. But, <laughs> but, but I'll try and speed through it as quickly as I can. I don't know why this, this, this came... Have you ever done that thing? You must have done that thing where you spent the night at your girlfriend's parents' house. Mm, yeah. 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 Well, you know, the first time that it happens, there are all kinds of emotions uh, and possibilities available. And, and feelings. Yes. And... Well, this is a story about something that happened to my old writing partner when he was still at film school. Um, he was dating a very posh girl called Isabel and they'd been seeing each other for a few weeks and they were getting on like a house on fire and one day she says I'm going down to see my parents at the weekend would you like to come they live in the country it's lovely Mm. so he thinks well yes all right. it's summer it's lovely we'll do that so at five o'clock on Friday night he's waiting outside the film school and she pulls up in a sports car, which he'd never seen before. And he gets in, and off they go, heading south from London. And they get deep into the countryside, and she turns off through an impressive set of gates onto a driveway that passes for a mile through beautiful, manicured parkland. Lovely. And they eventually get to the house. But it's not a house. It's a country pile. Mm -hmm. It's enormous. So she pulls up outside, and uh, as she's parking the car, the butler welcomes her 
comes down the stairs, welcomes her, greets her. Welcome home. Isabel. Welcome home, Lady Isabel. <laughs> now, this is the very first time that my friend has heard that she's got a title. Goodness. Now, he is tremendously intimidated, and he's feeling slightly underdressed in his Levi's and T-shirt. I was going to say, what's he wearing, the poor chap? Yeah. And it was an orange T-shirt as well, oh, which mate. nothing rhymes with. And he meets, he meets the parents, Lord and Lady, and they couldn't be lovelier. He's, often, they, often the yeah, way, isn't it, yeah. with the London gentry? Yeah. Very, really lovely people. He's put at ease, and that night they have a fabulous dinner, and the wine cellar is opened, and the wine flows. Brilliant. Come the end of the night, Lady Isabel walks him about a half a mile from the dining room, down passageways, <laughs> there, yeah. and upstairs, and he's leaning on her because he's... Oh, oh. <laughs> and they have a bit of a snog, but he's had far too much drink for it to go any further than that. So they right. say their good nights. The door is closed, and he crashes out on bed. Wait. Middle of in, the night. In a different room. A different room altogether from Lady Isabel. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not together. Uh, he, Are they in the same wing, he, he's at got, least? He, he has no idea where he is. Okay. Middle of the night, he wakes up desperate for a pee. Mm. But there's no en suite. So he opens his door and looks down the passageway left and it goes on forever and it's very dark and then he looks down the passageway right and exactly the same nothing but doors and uh, suits of armour and paintings <laughs> on the wall and he thinks I can't just go down there trying all those doors and make a fool of myself and he goes no. back into the room and in the windowsill he spies a vase no. So he takes the vase from the windowsill. No, no. Relieves no. himself. Oh. Puts the vase back, flops on the bed, falls asleep. He just puts it back. Following morning, he's woken up by birdsong, gets up, he's got a thump in here, throws open the window, gets dressed, decides to wander downstairs, but as he's going oh. out the door. He remembers the vase. What what reminds him? Is it the overwhelming stench of pee? <laughs> uh, he thinks, I'm going to have to empty that. <laughs> so he goes over to the open window. <laughs> no! But as he, oh, my God, no! But as he gets there, oh. he stumbles slightly. Oh, no! Knocks the vase, and it tumbles out. He sticks his head out just in time to see it tumbling through the air, heading down, as in slow motion, obviously, of down course. and down no, and down, no, no, through no. the roof of the orangery. Oh my, nothing rhymes. Yeah. Landing on the table where his lord and ladyship have just oh my God. sat down for breakfast. <sighs> Ah, darling, this grapefruit doesn't taste right. <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said he didn't go down. He was terrified, absolutely no. terrified. He said he made his way round the back and eventually got a message to Lady Isabel and he said, can we go? I don't feel very well. <laughs> 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 but there's that, that wonderful filmic moment where the vase goes out of the window 
and it's tumbling mm. through the air. And we know that if this was a movie, then it would be going in slow motion. And as it goes through the top of the orangery, breaking everything and landing crash on the white tablecloth with the little flower on the side of her, her ladyship and his lordship, and it all goes everywhere. There's that moment where they look up, cut to the reverse shot, of them looking up through the hole in the orangery and seeing yeah. his face <laughs> leaning out of the window above. So married, were they? Funnily enough, <laughs> 35 years, never had a crossword. <laughs> no, I don't think he saw again after that. But they're, but no, they're, but they're a lovely summer story to finish with. Yeah, well, I mean, it involved an orangery and an open window. <laughs> what, how, how much more summary does one want? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and birdsong as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and just to finish off then, uh, this, uh, this little season of our podcast, and we thank you very much indeed to everybody who's taken the trouble. Uh, to be there week in, week out, or even just dip mm. in here and there. Uh, we've enjoyed it tremendously, and we, uh, we shall return with a few, few new ideas when we've had them. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but in the meantime, let's do... Uh, uh... Let's not put any pressure oh, on. Oh, no, God. I mean, come on. You'll probably be this the same old the... when we come back as well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, our little summertime uh, fact or fiction quiz, pub quiz. Mm. Okay. So I mentioned the festival at Kenny Bunkport in Maine, uh, the Dump Festival, the Rubbish Dump Festival, um, mm. where they crown Miss Dumpy, where, where they, yeah. the guys basically meet at the dump, drink beer and shoot rats. And you said yeah, you fancied that is something that was true. Definitely true. Yeah. It's a fact. Of course. Entrants of course. for the Miss Dumpy contest held each July have to dress in an outfit consisting wholly of rubbish, such as grapefruit, grapefruit skins, aluminium cans and even discarded fish. Okay. Or to get a sash. Good. Wonderful. Um, one for one. Lovely. Now, this upset yep. you tremendously, but we've got to go yeah. there. We've got to find an answer mm -hmm. to this. In yeah. 1618, James I, I said, mm -hmm. published his Puritan appeasing book of sports, which decided yeah. what could and couldn't take place on a Sunday. The playing of football was allowed, but only after church, whilst cricket was banned altogether. Okay, so I have a couple of um, questions to ask around this mm -hmm. one. He's, see, uh, Anarakali, mm -hmm. that's a new word. Oh, Anarakali. Yeah, Anarakali. Oh, like yeah, it, it rhymes with Fazakali. Um, if we have another <laughs> child, I should call them Anarakali. There was a young man from Fazakali who rather cleverly Anarakali. <laughs> now, finish that. You, listeners, you have two and a half months to finish off that limerick and email it to us at thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. And the best limerick wins. Yeah, we're not saying what you win, but the best, <laughs> no. the, it'll win. Uh, anyway, so James I, 1618, he, uh, rather anarchically, I know that um, football was not allowed to be played um, on a certain time on a Sunday for many, many years. I imagine it came from then. So I'm going to say that is also a fact. It's a fiction. Oh. Uh, we might have had football in 1618, though not as we know it. It was like, you know, 300 aside. Yeah. Um, but no one can agree on the date of the first game of cricket. But mm. it goes back a long way and probably to the 16th century. However, 
what was allowed, this is interesting, what was allowed on a Sunday was Morris dancing, Ooh. the consumption of church ales brewed by and sold by the church wardens and nobody else's ale. That's a and, big corner and, of the market there, and, isn't it? And something known colloquially as leaping and vaulting. Mm. I don't want to put any flesh on that, really. Would you like to come a leaping and a vaulting with me? I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I wouldn't mind actually, Rupert. That's what your uh, former writing partner's good lady. Yes, come come a leaping and a vaulting in the country. Yeah, and he leapt off. <laughs> uh, bowling was totally banned. Apparently, in the Jacobean period, bowling was regarded as dangerous and a threat to national productivity that tempted labourers away from their work. I think that's like skittles, is it? Like, like crying green bowling. Uh, oh, oh, it might have been. Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought Skittles or, you know, like the temp, uh, the, the nine pin version mm. of 10 pin bowling, but it could could well um, have been bowling, bowling. I mean, were, how many people really would be upset if Crane Green Bowling was banned? Well, Sir now, Francis Drake uh, famously played bowls, didn't he, as the Spanish Armada yeah. approach, which is obviously uh, apocryphal and rubbish. But. Um, oh. I mean, I think our current leaders are doing something kind of, <laughs> playing you know, bowls as well. not dissimilar. And the third and final question. <laughs> At the Festival of St Gregory, celebrated in Cornwall on the nearest Saturday to the 23rd of June, the age-old mm -hmm. practice of flacking the loon takes place. One man stands atop a barrel or loon, whilst mm. others, the flackers, try to dislodge him with a soft willow flacking pole. Uh, the longest a man can stay atop the loon determines the winner. Fact or yeah. fiction? Well, now I'm torn on this one because I'm sure if this was a thing, there would have been a sea shanty uh, act that had made it to the charts called the Loon Flackers. And uh, to my knowledge, uh, there hasn't been. I think that this is false. Fiction? Yeah. You think it's a fiction? I think it's a fiction. Tosh and Balderdash. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Well, of course mm -hmm. it is. There's, yes, there's nothing called flacking the loon, but there bloody no. well should be, shouldn't there? I think I've, I've invented something. <laughs> the flackers who tried to dislodge him with their soft willow flacking poles. I want yeah. to see it. I would pay money to see that. Well, I mean, you've paid money to see worse, haven't That's you? True. So... That's, oh, yes. That's very true, that is, young man. That's very true. And that's us done for the summer. What a delight this has been, these 20 episodes. What great fun we've had. Eh? Yeah, we've had fun. We, well, I, well, we've inflicted it upon you. Yeah. We have no idea uh, whether such inflictions will do you harm. Medication is available. Uh, don't, don't ask us for a prescription. Our serious and genuine heartfelt thank yous to so the man in charge who's been us. listening. God yeah, bless you, and, and the chap in the uh, hardware shop really appreciate his contributions. All joking aside, we do genuinely appreciate every single one of you that has uh, bothered to download these podcasts. And we really do look forward to being back with you come September time-ish. Until then, have a fabulous summer. Reservoir. Cheerio. That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. If you enjoyed your time with us, please don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you catch the next episode. And find us on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTV. 
or email us at thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. Cheers! <laughs>